are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles radio show. Here is your host, paranormal researcher and author of the best-selling A Most Haunted House, Gavin Lee Davis. Welcome, my name is GL Davis, founder of ParanormalChronicles.com and author of Haunted Horror of Haverford West. The book critics are calling one of the most terrifying paranormal accounts ever written. Dare you read Haunted Horror of Haverford West alone in bed at night. A happy new year to you all and please before we begin may I give you some advance notice that this show deals with some very upsetting and harrowing events and as remarkable as this interview is listener discretion is advised. Just a quick shout out regarding our last episode. We love you Kevin Malik and Jenny. We are thinking of you and Kevin's family at this time. Be at peace brother. The Paranormal Chronicles podcast is brought to you by sixth-books.com. That's six-th-books.com. And sixth-books offers you wealth of paranormal reading with books on poltergeists, the orb phenomena, hauntings, UFOs, and so much more. So visit www.sixth-books.com and explore the unknown. If this is your first time listening, then press follow now as every month all of our followers are put into a monthly prize draw where one lucky follower can win a paranormal book from sickfifeandbooks.com plus every quarter one lucky follower will win a £25 or dollar gift voucher. We appreciate you listening and following so we always put free goodies up for grabs. Press follow. Now, explore and download the incredible series archive. Oh my, Bigfoot accounts, eyewitness reports, on-location investigations, the very best authors, researchers, and investigators right here on the Paranormal Chronicles podcast. We grew so quickly with continual praise in our first year as we truly offer you the best in paranormal content. We do this for you. If you have a story, experience, or theory to share, and find us and contact us on Instagram and Facebook as The Paranormal Chronicles. Tweet at Paracron or email paranormalchronicles at aol.com on tonight's show. What happens when a baby dies and how can they communicate with us from the afterlife? The Truth Inside from www.o-books.com is a true story from Ali Norell. In July 2014, Ali's daughter Romy died just four months old. As a spirit medium, Ali found her belief system to be challenged in the strongest way possible. Ali received communication from her daughter from the spirit world in a variety of ways, and this eventually helped her process her grief and uncover her own life purpose. This is an interview that deals with paranormal encounters, mediumship, premonitions, loss, heartbreak, grief, love, and this is one woman's determination to keep going, to be strong, to offer hope to every single person on the planet. This is unlike anything you've ever heard before to the extent that during this interview, I too became overwhelmed with emotion. Ali Norell is an incredible woman. On with the show. So Ali, your book is poignant as it tells a story of the past and the spirit of your baby daughter, Romy, and the experiences you had after her death. However, what is interesting is that you describe yourself as a spiritual medium and ask yourself some pretty fundamental questions in the book. You describe how you lost your belief in all things spiritual and how you came to regain it through the experiences you had with your daughter, which was corroborated by other mediums. Can you explain a bit more about this, please? Yes. So I have read had read a lot of books in this genre in sort of the mind body spirit genre in the course of my life I've always had an interest in the spiritual the paranormal it's been a big part of my upbringing as I write about in the truth inside 
So something that I was very clear about, aside from wanting to write this book as a memorial, if you like, to Romy, that's something that I promised her I would do. And so I really wanted to to fulfil that promise. But the other thing that I was very clear about in my own mind was that uh, with the utmost respect to other books in that genre that I've mentioned, I didn't want to make it a sort of a forceful point of view. I didn't want to be giving the message to people that, you know, hey, everyone, this is what I experienced. So you've all got to literally see the light. You know, anyone who says the afterlife doesn't exist, doesn't know what they're talking about. I wanted to be uh, very open with my views. And I wanted really uh, the truth inside to be a description of some of the experiences that I'd had myself that have been real to me. Although I'm very honest about the fact, well, you know, yeah, there could be a number of reasons why those things happened to me. I may have hallucinated. I may have been grief stricken. I'm not a liar, so I can categorically say I, I didn't make any of them up. But the, I accept there could be other explanations other than my daughter was contacting me from the spirit realm. I wanted to be very open. I wanted to invite open discussion. I'm interested in anybody who's had similar experiences. And I'm also interested in people who find it hard to accept this this set of circumstances and why you know and I'm happy to have that conversation with people and I think what probably gave me I want to say an edge that might not be the right terminology I have from a young age I've always seen and heard things that I realized the older I got other people didn't necessarily see and hear and I by that I mean I'm it's not like I was the kid in the sixth sense. It wasn't that pronounced. But, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know, there were various experiences that as I grew older and started to discuss them maybe with friends or my parents who were always very open, I started to realise and I read more and more books about it, about the paranormal and the spirit world. And I thought, OK, well, you know, I actually feel like I'm having some of these experiences and odd coincidences and things would happen to me. Um, and when I started to put them all together... In the earlier part of my life, before I'd even had children, I began to recognise that, that I had some kind of an ability. And so I think when I wrote the book, it was very important to me to recount those experiences and to be very upfront about the fact that this is an ability that I believe I have, but not to make that, not for that not to bias the experiences that I had after Romy's passing. And I think what possibly gives the book an interesting angle is that not only did I have those experiences myself in my own home, but I then sought out the opinion of a variety of different mediums, one of whom is known to me and is a friend of me and does know me, many others who weren't. And I was getting lots of information sometimes that, you know, was actually corroborating what had happened to me. Complete strangers describing themselves as spiritual mediums were giving me information about something that had recently happened to me concerning my daughter, my, my daughter who'd passed, that they couldn't possibly have known. And so that was very interesting to me, the fact that I think, you know, I thought I had this ability and now somebody else with this ability is telling me something very random that I don't think they could possibly have known. So I thought that was really an extra interesting piece of information to, to give to readers. When were you first aware of your ability to sense spirit and how does this manifest in you? So what do you see here, sense? OK, well, I would probably say, I mean, I did. We were discussing and in another conversation about imaginary friends. I did have an imaginary friend as a child, so I might recount that possibly as my first experience. But I think the one that really sticks in my mind the most, I do write about in The Truth Inside. And that was uh, the age of about four, 13 or 14. I, uh, I saw my grandfather in my bedroom. He died when I was about four years old. We were, despite my young age when he passed, uh, we were very close. We had a very close relationship. I adored him. He adored me. And I was going through a, a tricky time uh, for 14-year-olds in that, 
um, my dad had got a job promotion and we were just about to move house. So I'd grown up in Kent. I had really close friends there who um, I'm happy to say are still my my best friends who stayed in touch with those years. But um, and my dad's job meant that we had to move up to Bedfordshire. So we'd have to go and I'd have to move house, start a school. I didn't know anyone. It was it was really upsetting and stressful at that point because I was very happy where I was. And my poor parents, you know, realised that this was upsetting them and they were trying everything. You know, they almost didn't go through with it because they thought it would be so awful for my sister and I to move. And so we were putting a brave face on it. And you know, obviously it all turned out brilliantly in the end. Uh, the move was fine. But at that point, I was very um, upset and worried about it. And I was 14 and, and lots of stuff's going on when you're 14. So um, I describe this experience in The Truth Inside where I literally woke up in the early hours of the morning one morning and I saw this figure at the end of my bed. And it was my grandfather. And uh, he spoke to me. It's hard to describe. It was almost as if it was through an interpreter. I could hear the, the voice of this woman in my ear, even though I couldn't see her. And she, it was as if she was translating what he wanted to say to me. So and I can clearly remember every every little nuance of this. And, you know, I'm I'm 46 now. So this is however many years ago. Um and this woman was saying, well, he's been very worried about you. You know, you've got a big move coming out. He wants to reassure you that everything is going to be fine. And uh, during the course of this sort of conversation, in perhaps yeah. in the loose sense of the word, um, she also referred to something that had happened to my father, who was, this is my my father's father we're talking about. So my father had had a near miss on the motorway about a week before then, where he was describing it to us when he, he got home and said he really thought he was going to die. It was a, could have been a very serious accident but um, some poles, some scaffolding poles and a lorry in front of him um, had basically come towards his windscreen. The lorry in front had braked. My dad had braked suddenly behind him and he said he was so sure uh, that he was going to die or be seriously injured. He actually just took his hands off the wheel and, and covered his head because he thought, oh my God, this is not going to end well. And the poles just came straight for the windscreen. And when he looked up and uncovered his eyes, they just hit the front headlight and he couldn't work out. How, I remember him telling us like, well, I just don't understand how that happened. Um, they were coming straight for the windscreen. It's almost as if he said, I think he said something. Else. It's almost as if somebody just pushed them and they hit the light. And um, when he was telling me that, this was some weeks previously to this kind of experience with my grandfather, I remember I did blurt out, well, that was granddad. And they all looked at me. <laughs> Credit to my parents. Nobody said, don't be stupid. They just sort of paused the conversation, looked at me and then carried on talking. So... Uh, they were always very open about that kind of thing. And, and in this sort of dream, uh, this woman's voice was saying to me, oh, instantly he's saying it was him who helped your father. And the next morning I had a vivid uh, recollection of everything that had happened. And to this day, I can pretty much remember word for word um, what happened, which I don't do with my dreams. And uh, I told my best friend, Michelle, about it, because in those days she was, she was incredibly sceptical and I described to her what had happened and she sort of said oh maybe maybe you should ask your mum about it so we sat down and we talked to my mum yeah um and my mum was very close to her father-in-law and it was a family joke that they used to have loads of big uh heated discussions about whether there was life after death because my mum had always been a complete skeptic and my grandfather had apparently said to her you wait and see, you know, after I'm gone, I'm going to come back to you and you'll know that it's true. And he actually did. She saw him in our house um, two weeks after he passed. And from that point forward, she absolutely believed that there was something else where she never had before, because to her, it's like, OK, he said he was going to do this and now he has. So so I'm, I'm believing it. Um, so we sat down and talked to my mom and I, I found myself saying, do you know what's really strange is that 
Um, the clothes he was wearing seemed so significant because it just looked like he had his gardening clothes on or something. And I was four when he died, so I don't remember that sort of detail about him, to my knowledge. And my mum said, well, what do you mean, what was he wearing? And I described what he was wearing and she just went very quiet and she said, that's exactly what he was wearing when I saw him, like, you know, sort of 10 years ago. So, you know, that seemed quite conclusive to me. And that was really the first experience I ever had. And I, you know, I, I unusually for me, I saw him clearly. It was as if my dad had just walked into my room. I couldn't see his face, but I saw an absolute figure. I could tell what he was wearing. I knew it was my grandfather. Um, these days, if I um, choose to connect with that ability, if I work with mediumship at all, I tend to, I do, predominantly I see, I'm clairvoyant. And the way that I see now is that it's almost as if I have um, a cinema screen on my forehead. So if I close my eyes momentarily, it's like there's a screen in front of my forehead or behind it more more accurately. And I can often see images on there. And often it plays out a little bit like a film or sometimes I have a face that comes in very close from either the left or the right side and I can see the details of their features and so on. Um, I occasionally hear and I would say that I do sense and that's the one I tend to mistrust the most because, you know, it's quite easy to imagine there's somebody standing behind you or sometimes I, uh, a common one actually with people who claim not to be psychic or have those abilities in any way. But a lot of people experience this is I often think I've caught something out of the corner of my eye. And that happened to me on Christmas Day this year, actually, when I was just coming down in the morning, the kids were up. And I came into the living room and put the Christmas tree lights on. And I just stood there for a moment. And as I turned round, I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye. And in, in my mind, I think that was Romy because obviously she's often predominantly in, in our minds yeah. on Christmas Day. That's what it felt like to me. So a large part of, I think, working with mediumship really is trusting your gut and not doing that thing that we all do, which is to sort of try and try and tell ourselves, don't be silly. No, it wasn't. It couldn't possibly have been sometimes it can be and so, and if we trust it you know that's if it's helping us in some way I don't, I don't see an issue with that but well, one thing i gotta say obviously the listeners won't be able to appreciate this because you know they can't see what i'm seeing and there's something tremendously powerful happening in your environment because the light show going on in your living room <laughs> right now i've never seen light anomalies like this i'm one of the orb skeptics you know i've seen some really good examples of them but the majority they seem to be explainable but what i'm seeing in your environment now is incredible i'll send you the video later okay. so so can you describe the first experience that had you convinced that Romy was communicating with you. What was it that changed where you were like, okay, now there's definitely something happening? Yes, that, I can remember that very clearly. And I, I've written about this in The Truth Inside. So um, it was probably around, um, let me see, she passed in July. This would have been around November, I think, of that year. And uh, we were living in a different house at that point. We were living in a small village in, uh, in West Sussex in the house that she had been born in. Uh, all my kids have been born at home, which I'm very fortunate to have done. So, uh, and funnily enough, again, this is the living room of where, exactly where she was born. And uh, this strange thing was happening. My, my older children at the time were four and five. We hadn't had our youngest son at that point. And our oldest son was rather in the habit of coming downstairs early in the morning. But he was, you know, four or five years old. So there wasn't an awful lot. He would usually be clashing about and then one of us would get up and go down to him. So I noticed that when I was coming down in the mornings, um, our TV was at a really bizarre angle. And so just to kind of paint a picture, we have a rather odd piece of furniture that we put our TV in. I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like a, it's one of those weird bits of um, 
eclectic looking furniture. It's dark wood and it's got like a, a million different drawers on it. And it looks like a set of steps. It kind of has a, a higher level and then a middle level and a low level. Okay, and it's yeah. kind of convenient to stick a TV on. And we've got one of those TVs that sits on a, on a stand on this piece of furniture, but you can move the screen. Um, you know, so you can sort of swivel the screen. It doesn't go 360, but it probably goes close to 180. And we always had this sort of put, propped at an angle on this piece of furniture directed um, towards the sofa, obviously. So I came down one morning and the TV screen was sort of as far as it could be the other way. And the first thing I thought was, oh, for, you know, quite honestly, for God's sake, it's my husband. <laughs> he's the big one for gadgets and tech and I'm not and he's constantly losing phone charges plugging his phone in different places you know we drive each other crazy so I actually thought oh he's plugged his phone in at the tv point you know like how annoying because you had to reach all the way down the back of this piece of furniture it was a really hard to reach plug um I thought oh that's what he's done he's, he's plugged something in down there and then he's gone to plug it out and he's just kind of made a mess and moved the tv out of his way and um so I was annoyed I was irritated about it and uh, carried on with my life for that day uh, and the next morning I think I came down before any of the children I'd come down for a glass of water or something and obviously the TV had been back in its place we'd been watching it that evening wherever we went to bed we came down the next morning same thing TV is it I thought for goodness sake and I realized I'd forgotten to mention this to my husband the previous day and then I thought well, maybe it's the kids again forgot it didn't say anything it happened a third or a fourth day running. I can't remember whether it's a skip today and then happened again. I don't remember. But it basically happened three or four times in very close succession over the course of, let's say, a week. And uh, I just kept forgetting to say anything. As you do, it's just one of those irritating domestic things that happens and you don't think it's of any consequence. And uh, what happened then is I went to a psychic fair which is something that I used to do a lot with my parents. And I was a kid, they have an interest in that kind of thing. And they used to kind of take me along. And I loved them. I still love them. You know, the crystals and the tarot cards and the, I just love it. It's a lovely thing to go and do on a Sunday afternoon for me. <laughs> Perhaps that's not normal. So I just, uh, and again, it was a slightly, slightly impulsive decision. Remember we had, we had two kids. We we're usually doing stuff with the kids that in the afternoons on a Sunday. And it was a bit of a wet day. And I just said to my husband, oh, do you know what there's a psychic fair over in Brighton I thought I thought I might go do you mind and he said no no problem I'll watch TV with the kids you you go and have an afternoon so off I went got there with a kind of feeling of um not really quite sure why I've come here so I thought okay well may, maybe I'll just kind of buy a crystal and go home so I went in and looked around some stalls and and so obviously then we come to the the room where um all the psychics and the mediums have their little stalls set up and I had a wander around them. And unusually for me, because normally when I go to a place like that, I would feel like, oh, I think I'll, I'll have a sitting with somebody. But, you know, this was a few months after Romy had died. And quite bizarrely, I didn't really feel any great need to do it. Or maybe I don't know what it was. I just didn't feel that pull that I usually feel. But even so, I went round and usually they have a clipboard on the desk with, um, you know, a list that you can sign up. So that if they're doing another sitting, you don't disturb them or if they've stepped away. Um, you can just sign up, sign your name on the list uh, to say that you'd like to have a sitting at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock, whatever. Uh, so I was sort of walking around and most of them were booked up anyway. And I thought, well, fine, I'll, I'll just buy my crystal and go. And then uh, my eye was caught by this one particular table. There was nobody sitting at it. And it had the most garish thing I've ever seen in my life when it had a plug in angel lamp about <laughs> a foot high that was sort of, um, you know, flashing, <laughs> flashing on and off. And I, I sort of looked at it and I thought, oh. God, like how, ugh, I would never put something, how could she put something like that on her table? Quite judgmental. 
Um, and I sort of went over to have a better look at it because it was so awful. And then I saw a little note on her desk saying that she was doing a demonstration of mediumship in the main hall and that she'd be back to resume her sittings afterwards. And sort of something in my head thought, oh, if she's doing a demonstration of mediumship, she's probably quite good. And then I looked at her list and she had one slot left, you know, like immediately after she came out of this dem. And before I knew what I was doing, I stuck my name down on that list. And she came out and it turned out to be, I've, again, I've written about this, but it turned out to be one of the most remarkable sittings I think I've ever had. She was exceptional. I can't remember all the things that she told me. But one, quite early on, she said, oh, she could sense the presence of a very young child, a little girl. She asked if it was OK to continue. I said, yes. She said, is this your daughter? And so so it went on. And one of the first things she said, after she'd already given me a load of information about my husband, other family members, my godmother, extraordinarily accurate information. She said to me, out of the blue, has your TV been moving? <gasps> uh, in Sort of in, um, just as a gut reaction, I just said no. Because I, you know, I didn't have that, I didn't, it just didn't occur to me. I said, no, no, it hasn't. So she paused for a minute. She said, um, no, are you sure? Has your TV been moving? So I said, oh, well, actually, now you mention it, kind of. Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean, but it just, you know, she said, no, don't, don't tell me anymore. She said, I'm being told that um, your TV has been repeatedly moving. And uh, this is your daughter trying to draw attention to her presence in your house. So, you know, I'm open to this kind of stuff. But even I at that point was thinking, all right, come on. You know, she was four months old. She can't move a TV, even in the spirit. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And she kind of explained, like, look, you know, you've got to understand that when people pass, they, you know, they, they go back to spirit. So you're not, no longer talking about a four month old baby. You're talking about somebody's soul, their spirit, their essence, and the energy of that, that being. So, um, <laughs> I sort of went home not knowing what to do with that information. And she'd been so accurate on so many other things. And I thought, okay, what I've really got to do is just tell my husband, because he's, I think I, it's fair to say, he's an open-minded skeptic. We have many comments. He respects my um, my views and my experiences. And I thought, I've, I've got to ask him, because I bet this was him plugging in his phone charger. So I said, told him what had been said in this sitting, and he was very interested. I then said, look, I just, she mentioned something about the TV moving. And he said, oh, yes, I've, I've noticed that. And I said, what do you mean you've noticed it? Isn't it you? And he said, no, I, I've been, it's been doing it for a week. I thought it was you. I was oh, going, no. going on. And I was like, no, hang on a minute. So I then told him what she'd said. And he was like, well, I just don't know what to do with that. And I said, well, I don't know either. It seems like really bizarre. I'm not even sure whether I can believe that. And, the, the, and then we sort of went to we're like, OK, it's the kids. It's the kids. They're messing about with the TV. And we're, we're trying to come up with ways. Well, how can we ask them? They're four and five. You know, anyone who has kids will know that you've got to choose your words carefully when you're asking kids questions about have you done this that you're not supposed to do because they're, they're going to tell you the answer they think you want to hear. They're not going to give you an honest answer necessarily straight away. So we're like, OK, how do we ask them neutrally? But we didn't need to. And that was actually the 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 real crux for me. We never needed to ask them because after that conversation, it never happened again. And to me, that was the absolute that was the pinnacle of the whole experience because I thought, okay, if that had been something else, I'm pretty sure it would have happened again. If it had been the kids or my husband or anything else, it surely it would have happened again. And it didn't. And so to me, that was like, you know what? I can take that now. I, I really think she's right. I think somehow Romy was moving the television. And that, that was the first of, I would say, several similar situations that, you know, in my mind have convinced me that, that in some way there was some attempt to communicate there. We will be right back after these important messages. 
I've never met a dead person I didn't like is the extraordinary travels of a young, alone, and broke psychic in the highly anticipated new book from internationally renowned psychic, medium, medical intuitive, and best-selling author Sherry Dillard. Critics have described I've never met a dead person I didn't like as an engrossing memoir, an empowering story of how a broken girl came to accept her psychic gift, a refreshing and fun read. I've Never Met a Dead Person I Didn't Like is available through Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. How far would you go to protect the children in your care? Nyla's Babies is the terrifying, chilling book from Jack Simonson in which a young nanny battles an ancient demon for the souls of the twin babies in her care. Critics have heralded Nyla's Babies as an impressive and vivid imagined story, compelling and devilishly spooky, shocking and haunting. Nyla's Babies is available on Amazon, Kindle or wherever books are sold. Visit CosmicEgg-Books.com for more on Nyla's Babies. Sixth books will take you to other worlds, haunt you, open your mind and push you far beyond the veil of the unknown. Sixth Books is a leading publisher of books on the body, mind and spirit, the paranormal, consciousness, ancient wisdom and the afterlife. Explore today, learn today, open your mind today, read today. Visit sixth-books.com today. The world as you know it is about to change. Do you wish for more paranormal and spiritual content? The Paranormal Chronicles magazine is a free digital magazine crammed with the very best in paranormal and spiritual articles and features. No sign-up, no subscription, just free reading and knowledge for you. Read today at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. Hi there, my name is Claire Waters and I would like to invite you on an incredible journey. I have written a book based on my personal experiences called Raising Faith a true story of raising a child's psychic medium. It's my family's extraordinary experiences with our young daughter's ability to communicate with spirits and the inspirational lessons learned on our journey. Raising Faith is currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Join me on this beautiful and incredible adventure. For more information on Raising Faith, visit my website, raisingfaith.co.uk, or my Facebook page, Raising Faith Book. See you there. The International Chart Topping Haunted Horror of Haverford West has been described as terrifyingly real, a must-read, shocking and chilling brilliance, genuinely worrying, utterly frightening. Don't read before bed. Described as one of the spookiest writers out there, best-selling author G.L. Davies presents Haunted Horror of Haverford West. The true paranormal account that is shocking the world. Dare you enter? Dare you read? Haunted. Horror of Haverford West is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Pray you never have to live there. And didn't you have a dream that was very vivid and real as well? Oh, yes. Um, so that would have been... Um... A little later after that experience I think so um, yeah I woke up one morning and, and uh, told my husband I had a very vivid dream and what had happened is 
I don't often remember my dreams, but the ones that I had after Romy died, and in fact, I didn't, one thing that never affected me after Romy died that everyone assumes will be the case when you're grieving very deeply is that my sleep wasn't interrupted. I almost felt guilty about it. I had this, you know, a phenomenal night's sleep most nights. And I think my explanation for that is I was just so grief stricken and so exhausted by my grief and also to try and try and keep going for my family that by the time it got to bedtime, I was so happy to just shut down. It sort of took me out of that reality for a bit. So that's my explanation for why, um, you know, my sleep wasn't affected in any way which I'm very grateful for. But I did have a couple of quite odd dreams. And one of them was I, in my dream, I felt like I was underwater and I could hear a voice. You know, when you're under the water at a swimming pool and somebody's talking to you and you can hear their voice and it's really muffled and echoey and you can't, you make out some words and not others. And that's, I was hearing this voice talking to me and it was a very familiar voice, but I was under the water. It was a pleasant feeling but it was confusing because I kind of felt like I wanted to move and I couldn't, I couldn't move. It wasn't a frightening feeling, it was quite calm. And I just wanted to hear what this voice was saying. At some point I started, more words were breaking through and I realized to my huge confusion, it was my own voice I could hear. And when I listened more closely, I, re I recognized that the things that my voice was saying uh, were the things I was saying to Romy um, as she passed over. So we were very fortunate. We were able to be with her. Um, they switched off life support and so on. And uh, my husband and I were able to be with her, hold her just as we would normally have done as she passed. And that's um, the part of the truth inside that I think I found the most difficult to write about for numerous reasons. Um, it felt very sacred. It's something I'd never really spoken out loud or even written down and it felt like it was the three of us in that room and I almost wanted to keep it a secret. But in the interests of perhaps um, helping others, I, I did write about it in detail, the, mo the actual moment of her passing. Something that I did is talk to her. Um, my husband wasn't in a position to do that. He was really distraught at that point. And I remember having this thought of like, it's, it's, I think it's a mother, a motherhood thing. I just had this feeling of like, I've got to be immensely strong here and I can fall apart afterwards, but I've got to help her. I've got to help her here. She needs to go somewhere and I have to help her to do what's right for her and then I can lose it. So, um, and I, I was talking to her and I didn't know what I was saying at the time, but I remember I was talking to her and saying, you know, can you see the light? You've got to go to the light. There's so many people waiting for you. And at the same time, I was saying to Darius, my husband, um, Again, it's quite hard to articulate this because it's completely opposite to what you would expect you would feel in that situation. But it felt like a really jubilant atmosphere in the room. And I remember saying to him, oh, my God, there's all these people. You know, can you feel it? Can you feel it? It's like she's going. It's like there's a party. Can you feel it? And obviously he was just looking at me and saying, well, no, no. Um, he was in his own place. And I, could, I just couldn't believe what I was feeling and what I was um, sensing. So I was saying to Romy, it's okay, it's gonna be fine. We're gonna hold your hand. You know, you've just got to go to all these people that are waiting for you, they're all our family. And, you know, I, could, I had a sense of like my grandparents there and my husband's aunt who passed very recently. And I felt like they're, they're all in the room and they're all waiting to receive her. That's what it felt like. And it felt like it, it, felt like it was a real privilege to be there at that point. And this is what I heard this voice saying in my dream. And just as I was, my logical mind in the dream was thinking like, what on earth is going on here? I had this bizarre physical sensation where um, it felt as if I lifted up out of the water 
and I just shot upwards at an incredibly vast rate. And there was a blinding light. And I and I had this, I registered in my consciousness, I had this thought of, oh, this is incredible. I know everything. I, I know it's every I know it. I know, I know it. That's what I remember thinking. I know it. Um, this is amazing. And then um our other daughter woke up in another room and cried out for me and I kind of like just automatically leapt up out of bed went to see to her came back into the room sat down and then woke my husband up and said oh my god I've just had this unbelievable dream so I tried to describe it to him and he said well what, you know and I said I tell you what that was I I was Romy she was showing me what it was like for her as she passed and the reason I think that that happened is because funnily enough um Two or three weeks previously to that, I got really bogged down in my grief and I was obsessing, really obsessing over whether she was in pain in her last moments. I was really, really upset about it. I didn't think she could have been because, you know, they'd had her on sort of morphine and life support and so on. But I was getting myself really upset about her last moments and or had she passed earlier in the day before they tried to resuscitate her? Was it in the hospital? Was she there? And I got myself into a, a sort of, I got locked in a cycle about it. And I'm absolutely convinced that I was somehow given that experience in a dream by the spirit world or whoever you want to um, attribute it to, to reassure me that the moment of her passing was as jubilant as I had felt it to be when I was in that room. And it feels like a really huge privilege um, to have been a party to that. It's heartbreaking, but it's not just the loss. It's how you've described it. And I think that would give a lot of people a lot of hope. I hope uh, so. I, I really hope so. And I hope that your feeling, you know, that feeling was real. Poor Romy, you know, she didn't get the chance to live on this plane and that she gets this amazing adventure, this amazing, amazing experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's the first on this podcast. Uh, I've had people make me laugh. I've had people make me angry, but I've never actually had anyone make uh -huh. me cry. So, so thank you very much. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you. You're amazing. So you then start to find that these experiences were being repeatedly told to you by a succession of mediums. Yes. Yes, I did. It, yeah, it is what it, it is, what it says, really. I mean, I started to seek them out a little. I'm not, I think it's important to note, I, you know, obviously, I'll repeat again, I've grown up with these experiences and these ideas, but I'm not somebody who just sucked it up as, as a given. There's a, I have a naturally sceptical part of my mind. I always, even to this day, if I have an experience I think might be something, the first thing I do is question it. Well, hang on, could it be this? Could it be that? Is it me? Am I tired? Is this, you know, because I actually, I don't want to lie to myself. It sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but I just, I don't want to tell myself lies. I, you know, I want to experience my life to the full, no matter what's happened to me. And I don't want to pull the wall over my own eyes, if you like. Um, so when I sought these mediums out, I did want uh, corroboration of, of what I was experiencing. And of course, I wanted what everybody wants. I wanted to hear from my daughter and my loved ones in the spirit world. And that didn't always happen. But one of the most extraordinary situations in which it did, um, again, I have written about in, in The Truth Inside, I went to a local spiritualist church. And for anyone who hasn't had an experience of a, a spiritualist church, they are not quite like a conventional church. They're often uh, in a small environment that feels a bit like a church hall to me, ironically. There's a congregation of people. You sit on chairs or sometimes on pews. There's a little table at the front that usually has some kind of spiritual icon on it. But it's I think the main difference is there's an absence of reference to God or Jesus or Christ. But it does not mean that that's not revered, respected. 
I think the idea is that you're focusing less on a named icon and more on the the feelings of love and healing and light there's a lot of talk about love and light and healing you send healing thoughts out to people in the world who who may need them for example so that's kind of the main difference and then the other obvious difference is that instead of a, a vicar or a priest standing up and giving a sermon you have a medium who gives a dem as they call it in you know <laughs> hipster spiritual circles uh, a demonstration of mediumship where they will connect with the spirit world, do their thing and give messages to people in the audience from their loved ones in spirit. And so I I developed, it kind of became quite comforting to me. I would go to my local spiritualist church on a, on a Saturday. I'm not going to say which one it was because some quite comical things happened. Um, It's quite an eclectic (laughs) people as is often the case in a lot of these places. And some, yeah, there's some, some funny things happen. That's a whole other book, I think. Um, so anyway, one, I went there very about a couple of weeks after Romy died. And I have to say, the lady who was giving a demonstration that night, uh, it wasn't that she wasn't good. I just wasn't in the right headspace. I, I, got, I got there. I felt I was surprised at how upset I felt. Um, I didn't really connect with her style of working, let's just say. And I kind of halfway through, I was thinking, please don't come to me. Please don't come to me. And then it sort of that that moved into like, I just want to get out of here. I don't I don't want to be here. And uh, I sat it out and I got home and I burst into tears. And I said to my husband, I'm, that's it. I'm never going back to one of those places again. And my husband was very kind of tolerant, <laughs> helpful. It's probably why we're still married and didn't really say very much and just kind of, you know, soothed me and smoothed it over. And that was that. And a couple of weeks later on a Saturday night, I just blurted out to him, oh, do you mind if I pop over to the spiritualist church tonight? Asking because obviously it meant he had to stay at home with the kids. Uh, his rather droll answer was, um, oh, do you mean the one that you're never going to set foot in ever again? (laughs) So I said, yes, that one. And he said, no, of course, you know, if that's what you're going to do, you you go. So I drove off on my own in the car. And uh, that was a silly uh, qualification. (laughs) It wasn't a tractor. I drove on my own off to the spiritual church. And in the car on the way there, again, I found myself thinking, I don't know why I'm going here. I did say I wasn't going back here again. I didn't have a particularly good experience last time. I didn't feel like it was a place I was supposed to be in why am I now in the car driving there? This is ridiculous. And I talked out loud. When Romy was um, alive, I often had her, her and the kids in the back of the car in car seats. And often I'd drop the other two off and it's just me and her. And I had this habit of just talking to her. <laughs> this is probably quite evident now. I quite like talking. I do a lot of it. And uh, I've talked non- I've talked incessantly to all my children to the point they're probably all really sick of it. So I used to talk to Romy a lot. And so there I am in the car on my own on the way to the spiritualist church. And I was just talking out loud to her and I said, Romy, you know, I, I know that you're okay. You know, in my heart, I know you're okay, but that's on a spiritual level and and I'm your mummy and I'm still really miss you. And I just, I just, I know this is silly, but I just need to hear it from you. I just need to hear it from you once that you're okay. That's all I need. And then I know it's going to feel a bit, a bit easier. Um, And that was that I got there. I parked, I went in, it was really packed. And the lady doing a demonstration that night was a very a real contrast to the lady that the previous time. She was incredibly lively. She was explaining the way she worked. And I remember that she said, look, I don't have a very conventional way of doing this. I literally just pick a person and fire out information at them. So you've got to be really quick to catch it. Um, if you need to ask me questions afterwards, come and find me um, at the end of the service. Um, so I was thinking, oh, crikey, this, you know, she's a bit of a, a bit of a firecracker. And I was, so I purposefully stood at the back of the hall um I was wearing a locket um that my husband bought me after Romy passed that we we'd uh, kept a lock of her hair so I have a photograph of her and a lock of her hair in this locket 
but I purposely I wore that all the time at that point but I I had um I guess it was uh I think it was this, this was summer still but I had a very lightweight scarf I had this huge scarf round around my neck um to hide this locket and I had it inside my clothing because even at that point I was thinking yeah okay but I'm you know I'm not stupid you know don't don't start the whole oh you're wearing a locket around your neck with a photo of your dead loved one in it I you know I was I was I had that level of skepticism so I hid it and I stood at the back as well kind of again slightly trying to hide but I had this moment of clarity where I thought I remember thinking to myself she's gonna come I'm gonna I'm gonna be the third person she comes to I know she's gonna come to me I'm gonna be number three and I was and um she started talking very quickly about a child, a baby. Uh, I realised she had the same, uh, the right link. And she said, oh, you, um, oh, that's right. She said, um, you wear a locket around your neck. I thought, yeah, okay, but you still could have guessed that. And I've got a scarf on, so maybe you just double bluffed me. But then yeah. she said, oh, um, there's a lock of her hair in it. And, uh, and I'm being told that you hold this locket in a particular way. And you talk to it a lot, which, you know, was slightly random and a bit embarrassing, but I did do that. And she was actually even showing me the way that I used to sort of fiddle with this locket, which was really extraordinary. And anyway, she fired off at another couple of things that were, you know, pretty impressive. But, you know, I was thinking, OK, great. This is why I came, you know, as I've got the connection. And then she said, OK, I'm going to move on. But I'm being told that I have to tell you something really, really important. And it's really important I get the words precisely right. Um, so I thought, okay, I was expecting her to deliver this sort of eulogy um, and give me a whole load of information about, you know, amazing stuff. And she said, um, actually, it's only two words, but I'm being told it's really important that I say these precise two words. And the words are, I'm okay. So I just thought, okay, uh, again, I just, my mind naturally went to, okay, how could, you know, how, come on you know, this must be a common thing, or did, did I have my phone on? Was she, you know, it's like, yeah. stuff. like was my radio picking up and broadcasting stuff? Uh, really, but you know, I just, it's one of those things I, I really can't find, if anyone has a potential explanation, I'm very open to listening to it. To me, that was uh, one of the most extraordinary pieces of information I was given, actually. The fact that I'd asked, I had asked Romy, to tell me in person that she was okay. And then this complete stranger told me, uh, you know, it tells me an hour later, those exact words and tells me that the words are important, the way she says it are important. I, I find that extraordinary. I really do. I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't rub that one out. Very little to suggest that there was a work in place. It was cold reading or something you could learn on Facebook or social media or something of that nature. You have kind of touched upon this, right? And there's going to be a lot of people out there. That was a wonderful experience you shared with us. And how can you explain this communication, seeing as she's only a baby when she died? Now, we did talk earlier about the TV and stuff. But surely people would argue that she couldn't speak in life. This is great opportunity to explain how it works. Of course. Well, you know, the first thing I'd say is obviously I don't I don't know how it works any better than the biggest sceptic in the world. I don't I'm not party to any special knowledge, even if you say that I have abilities as a medium, I would still argue. Yes, I know. But that's just what I think. Yeah. I can prove it. I can prove is a dangerous word in this uh, in this walk of life, because proof and evidence are very hard to provide when you're talking about something that you can't see. And, uh, you know, you can't prove the existence of an afterlife, I, I would argue, even though I deeply yeah, agree there is one. Right. Um, 
But so the expert, the best explanation that I can give based on my personal experience and what I have read um, over the years is that we all come to this world, isn't there that uh, saying, isn't there, I always get the wrong way around. Uh, we are uh, spiritual beings having a human experience. And that's what I feel we come to this life and we incarnate, if you like, um, in a human body and we live out that life as a human being. And uh, my personal theory is that we are, the reason for our being is to learn and mainly to learn about love and compassion, unconditional love, true unconditional love. And I think that's very hard to come by in this life. So I believe that in essence, we are a soul, a spirit, which, you know, to a lot of people, again, unhelpfully over the years, that's been depicted in literature and art as, you know, some kind of ghoulish apparition or a, you know, more your neck of the woods, the ghost yeah. paranormal, you know, somebody with a sheet over their head. Um, but, you know, if you take it down to, pardon the pun, but if you take it down to the bare bones, I think um, that we are an energy. We are an energy. Each individual person is an energy. And I think um, the more far-sighted among us the, the, the deeply spiritual people understand that all of those individual energies link up as one whole energy so that to explain this Romy may have been a four-month-old baby when she passed but if you accept the idea that she uh, was an energy that went to blend back in with other energies uh, once she passed back to wherever she came from then that energy does have the ability to move a television or to you know, to, to take part in these uh, phenomena that seem really impossible to us. And if we try and logicalize it, if that's a word, um, of course, it seems impossible. But that's, yeah, so I, and I've also read accounts, uh, which I find fascinating, of people who have had near-death experiences or um, very experienced mediums who have had um, this kind of information imparted to them. I have read accounts that suggest that um, in the afterlife, for want of a better uh, term for it, there is no speech. We don't actually speak out loud to each other, but it's a type, a, almost like a type of telepathy. Yeah. Uh, so words are impressed upon us. And I think working as a medium, I can identify with that because often um, I, I have a similar exchange if I'm receiving information. Sometimes I see it in my mind's eyes if it's been written down on a piece of paper. And sometimes I just have a sense of the word. And that's very difficult to try and articulate but that's what it feels like. It, it does feel like we would imagine telepathy to be. And so um, that is my best explanation for how it's possible uh, for a baby or a young child or perhaps somebody who was mute in life or, you know, people who spoke different languages in life. Um, I believe that once we go back to source, whatever that source is, heaven, the spirit world, the afterlife, I believe that once we're back at that source, all of those things belong to a human experience and we return to what was there, which actually, for what it's worth, I believe is incredibly simple. I think that all these things that we're seeking, I think the answers are incredibly simple. That's a very, very good explanation. And was it logicalized? Logicalized is the <laughs> word of the day. I'm going to be using it all the time. I love that. <laughs> Didn't you have a premonition of sorts about your son who was born a year after Romy died? Yes, I did. So that happened. This is going to make me sound like a sort of woman that I'm really not, but I have to say it because it's true. Uh, that happened while I was having a facial. Uh, not, something, <laughs> not something I do very often, honestly. In fact, the reason why I was having this facial is because um, our children had gone back to school. It was September after Romy had died in July. And uh, I suppose my husband uh, very sensibly sort of 
gathered that, yeah, I didn't have the kids around to distract me. I, was, I wasn't able to work at that point. I was kind of kicking around at home. And I, you know, quite, quite frankly, I'd been crying a lot. I'd been crying a lot and um, I did feel a bit wrecked. And he said, look, why don't you go down to this nice place in town and, and have a facial and just to have some time to yourself and relax and do something, you know, just sort of distract myself, but in a nice way. And so that's what I did. And uh, it's quite interesting because uh, I quite like facials and massages and so on. And I, I think that if you like that type of thing, when you have a good therapist working on you, you you can your mind can go to that place. Well, they describe them alpha and beta brain waves, don't they? Where your sort of alpha brain wave function switches off. So it kind of feels like you're daydreaming or you're that, that little part just before you go to sleep or just when you wake up. That's when they say you are the most receptive to, um, you know, spiritual activity or whatever, um, which is interesting because the first experience I ever had, if you recall, was uh, sort of early hours in the morning. I've just woken up. Obviously, my, my brain was very receptive because that part of your brain, the, all the inhibitors that say, no, it isn't. That's ridiculous. You're making that up aren't kind of fully awake yet or they're going to sleep. So there I was in the sort of um, quite soporific state having this facial. There was lovely music playing in the background. And I was just kind of, I just had my eyes closed and I wasn't asleep. And I had this image in my mind's eye where I see things uh, when I work mediumistically. And uh, what I saw was um, a hill in front of me with the greenest grass I think I've ever seen. It just looked amazing. It was like the type of uh, vivid photograph that you want to step into, uh, which when I was, uh, as an aside, when um, the publisher were, were speaking to me about the, the cover design for The Truth Inside, I was uh, I was very fortunate in that they listened to my input because I know that generally as an author, unless you're you know Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, you don't you don't get zip about, about your cover design. Yeah, uh, yeah. But they uh, they were kind enough to listen to my input, and I was very strong on the idea that I wanted it to be vivid because my idea about the uh, the afterlife, if, if one indeed exists, is that everything there is so vivid um it's indescribable and so I had this hill in front of me with this incredibly vivid green grass and at the top of this hill there was a tree which I could see in sort of silhouette and under the tree I could see um a small child uh you know a babe you know well the, a child the age Romy would have been had she been alive so sort of like just about walking next to her was this woman who I had seen before when I'd worked as a medium and also as a healer I'm not sure if I should try and describe her because it is very, it's rather outlandish. I've never worked out. Some people may say she's a spirit guide. I don't know. As I'm talking now, I can see her very vividly in my mind's eye. Uh, she's very hard to describe. She um, is a she's a woman of colour. I don't know. I can't place her in a time period, but she always I always see her wearing white clothing, but she's sort of swathed in it. It's very unusual. I have actually tried to do research on the internet today, and I feel like she's a midwife, or she would be a midwife in an African country. That's my sense about her, but I've never been able to place her. But I've seen her, seen in inverted commas, uh, several times when I'm working with healing or as a medium. And this is the lady that I saw standing under this tree. Uh, she was holding in her arms a baby. So I could, I was thinking I knew this little child next to her was Romy. And I saw her and yeah, a few days after that, I found out I was carrying our son. So uh, it was a kind of a premonition, if you like. I and also I had another odd dream as well um, around that time after which I woke up because my husband and I had been sort of been back, back and forth about should we 
do we want another baby? Is that something we should try? Could we deal with it if something went wrong? Um, you know, also I was 42 at this point, 41, 42. So it's like, it wasn't a decision we wanted to, to take lightly. Um, and I, and my husband had sort of been erring on the side of, look, I know this is something that's really important to you, but I'm not really sure I want to go there. I don't think I could cope with it. And I woke up one morning and I said, I had this extraordinary dream. This is separate to the facial experience. Uh, I had this extraordinary dream and I kind of feel like if we want to ask this baby, it, we're going to have one. And he said, well, that's really weird. I can't remember my dream, but you just said that to me. And I, had, I, I must have had the same dream. I've woken up thinking we need to have a baby. And, you know, we, weeks later, weeks later, I was pregnant. And now, uh, now four. So. <laughs> Speaking of premonitions, did your older daughter say something very eerie about her sister? Mm, yes she did that's um yeah it was one of the first things that came into my mind after Romy died and it spooked me for a long time actually so my my uh my other daughter Layla who's now nine um is very sensitive and we've had lots of different conversations I'm sure that she has some kind of tuning in ability lots of the things she said to me especially as a young child were very prescient and there was one particular occasion I Remy was um, a baby obviously uh, she was maybe uh, a couple of months old and I was bathing the other two kids uh, with her on my lap and we were talking about what we were going to do in the summer holidays it was the beginning of the summer and we always have this tradition in our family where we make a big list of all the stuff we want everyone wants to do and then everyone gets to pick one thing a week basically that's how we handle the you know can I go here can we do this can we do that everyone gets to pick one kind of outing or experience per, per week and so we were talking about that and one of my older son's favorite things to do at that time was to go to a local outdoor swimming pool he'd loved that we'd done it the previous year and so he said well can we can we go and do that and I said well we can but this year we'll have to ask um you know your auntie to come with us because obviously Romy's a tiny baby and I can't take all three of you on my own so we can do it but we need to arrange something to come with us so then Layla said to me um mummy when Romy goes back will we be able to go swimming with you just by ourselves again so I said sorry what do you mean and I must admit at that point when she just said that I, I did have a slight sort of chill go down my spine so I thought my, my god sorry what um I said I'm sorry what do you mean and she said well when Romy goes back she just repeated it she said well when Romy goes back uh will me and Casper just be able to come swimming with you on our own again because there'll only be two of us so I said well what what do you mean when she goes back where do you think she's going to go and she sort of looked at me and we locked eyes for a minute and she just, I can only describe, she had this look on her face like she knew she'd said something she wasn't supposed to say. Mm. And she just looked at me really directly and she said, she's going back, mummy. And I said, so I kind of laughed it off and said, well, where? So then she looked really shifty and said, um, back in your tummy? So I thought, ah, oh, okay, bit of sibling rivalry. She's probably half wishing that she would go back in my tummy you know, Layla was the only girl, she was a baby, and now she isn't, so that's what this is about, but I'll tell you, um, you know, right after Remy died, one of the first things I thought about was that conversation, and I can't describe to you how, but I know that she knew, I know that she knew, it was the way she looked at me, and, it, you know, hindsight's a great thing, but um, in retrospect, I think that was very clear to her. Was that frightening or upsetting to you? It was, in it, when she first said it, I thought, oh, my God, like, what, what is she saying? But then when she kind of gave me this trite explanation, which was obviously like, oh, whoops, what do I said? Um, yeah, yeah, I think she's going to go back in your tummy. It re it lulled me into a, a full sense of security, I suppose. I thought, oh, you know, she's just kind of a bit jealous and she's kind of wishing her baby sister wasn't really here. 
and that's where this has come from. She was four years old. So, you know, there is a lot of that type of um, conversation when kids are that age because they're seeing the world in a different way and you're trying to understand what they mean some of the time. So, yeah, once she sort of, uh, quote, explained herself, um, I relaxed. I thought, oh, OK, that's fine. But then, of course, afterwards, when what happened happened, I did think, oh, my goodness, she knew. She absolutely knew. I know she knew from what from it's just the way she looked at me that's all like that's all I can say has she said anything since or was that a one-off experience um yes about her sister she then didn't speak about her sister for years wouldn't utter her name wouldn't say anything and uh, a year ago we moved her to a new school and she made some close friendships with some other girls and actually simultaneously a very close friend of mine from university his wife passed I happen to be godmother to their daughter, who's seven. And uh, so my friend's daughter and Layla developed this extraordinary relationship. They'd really never really met each other over the years. We'd met up a few times, but they hadn't really made an impression on each other. And they are extraordinarily close. It's very odd. Um, I guess they bonded through their their deep and unusual loss um, that perhaps other children don't really understand or appreciate. But yes, there've been many occasions with Layla um, in the time since she started talking about Romy then more. And then the other really odd thing that happened is our youngest son started nursery school. And, uh, you know, Romy's a fairly unusual name, right? Well, I thought it was when I picked it. Um, he starts nursery school. There are two kids called Romy in his class, uh, which is quite, I find that quite wow. weird. I find that really weird. Um, you know, because I'd never heard of a name before. I had to write it down how you were saying it because I've not heard that. I've heard of R O M I. Yes, but... yes. Well, the the other the, the addendum to the the thing about the Ro- the Romies at nursery school is that actually what uh, I do write about it in the truth inside. Actually, um, when I was pregnant with Romy, I I wanted her name to be Romany. I have a fascination with Romany gypsies. I love. Uh, reading about their culture I have had a lifelong love affair with tarot cards so I just loved this name and uh, I hadn't really heard it and you know you try and look it up you don't get many descriptions of it but I just thought no that that is a name and I I want to call her that name and my husband wasn't overly keen on Romany and I said but if it's Romany we'd just shorten it to Romy and he said well Romy I like so we went with Romy and uh, one of the Romies at my son's nursery school, I got chatting to his mother and she knows our story. And, um, you know, we we're saying how extraordinary it was that, that her daughter's also called Romy. And she's uh, she's five. So she's a year younger than Rome, her, the, the age Romy would be coming up to. And she said, well, actually, her her real name is Romany, but we just call her Romy for short. I just thought, oh, my God, that's uh, yeah, that's really quite odd to me. Um, you know, if she'd been called, I don't know, Anne or Lucy or something less odd, but a name like that. Yeah, I find that situation quite strange. But yeah, I could um, lay I think I've written about a couple of other incidents with with Layla in The Truth Inside. Yeah, there have been a few. There have been a few. Um, she's very sensitive. So how did The Truth Inside come to be published? What made you decide to? Was it just a cathartic experience where I'm going to write it? Or was it? I can help people with this. Yeah, strength cathartic is what I get asked a lot. And uh, honestly, that was um, the smallest part of it. The biggest part was that I promised Romy. We were in ICU all night. Uh, I I guess I knew what was coming, really. I I was in denial about it, but I I knew. And I remember I had all the... I talked to her a lot. Um, She was unconscious, but I was hoping she could hear me. And one of the things that I said to her was that, you know, I want everyone to know your name. I, I want 
your energy here to be powerful in a positive way. And um, I'm going to write it down. I'm, I'm going to write about you so everyone knows about you. That was what I felt. And that's what I told her. So that was the main driver for me. I just I was compelled to write this book because I'd made one of my children a promise. And I, I really don't like to Welsh on a promise to anyone, particularly not to my kids. Um, and I started out actually writing a blog which is still in the public domain, but I don't really uh, write for that blog anymore. It was, um, the blog was called Remembering Romy. And uh, I started, that was cathartic. That's what started me on the, that helped me with my grief. I wrote about the day-to-day experiences I had. Sometimes it was a way for me to, uh, in a very British and polite way, sort of vent some of my frustrations yeah. about being a newly bereaved parent, some of the things that people were saying or doing that perhaps weren't helpful, just kind of gently let them know. <laughs> Um, and to let some people around me know what was going on with me because I became a bit of a recluse um, directly afterwards. I, I didn't really want to see anyone or do anything. I just I was just struggling to get through my life, really. Um, so the blog was cathartic. The book, um, I can only say that um, I knew I was going to write it. And uh, I'm quite a determined person. And if I set my mind to something and I believe in it that much, I, you know, nothing can stop me from doing it. I, I have quite a strong energy in that way. Um, but I do feel like there were a series of sort of little nudges that pushed me into um, into getting it written. The first one of which was that I was reading something online one night um, and about writing or writing a book. I don't know. You know what happens. You go online and then you click one thread and another thread. And before you know it, you're reading about how to grow turnips yeah. or something bizarre. <laughs> it was a bit like that, except I stayed in context. And I was trying to write. I was trying to read about writing. Um, and I ended up reading some very bizarre uh, strand and somebody mentioned um, the Hay House Writers Workshop. And I thought, what's that? I knew Hay House were a big publisher who published lots of spiritual titles. So I sort of clicked on the link and it said, oh, Hay House, we're a big spiritual publishers. And once a year in the U- once a year, they run a writer's workshop. You pay to attend this workshop and then everyone who's attended has the opportunity to submit um, a manuscript or a proposal for a book and they pick a winner and that book gets published. And so I thought, oh, um, but they're American. That's all going to be in America, isn't it? I can't get to America and go to a writer's workshop. So I did some more clicking and then, and then I was like, no, no, they're in the UK as well. They have these writer's workshops in the UK. Uh, did some more clicking and wouldn't you know it, this was a, I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, let's say it was the middle of the week clicked on it the Hay House Writers Workshop for that year was that weekend in London and so uh, my husband is amazing like this I phoned him at work and said and bearing in mind you know our son was at this point about a year old I was still breastfeeding so I wasn't really going out much I'd never left him for a whole day Uh, so I phoned my husband at work and I said can I go to this writers workshop in London at the weekend and he said okay and I said yeah but it's a couple hundred quid and he said that's all right Um, you know we'll find it I think you should go. And he said, well, just out of interest, why do you think you should go? And I said, I don't know. I don't have an expert. I just feel like I need to go. And he said, well, that's good. Go. So that was the, that conversation. And so I went. And uh, I sat there. Five minutes in, there was a, a big talk from uh, Michelle Pilly, who's the director of Hay House in the UK. And I texted my husband at that point. I think we were 10 minutes in. And my text was uncharacteristically pessimistic. And it said something like, I don't know what on earth I'm doing here. Everyone else here is a writer. I'm completely out of place. What the hell was I? Why did you let me do this? Why, why am I, you know, I've got to sit here for two days now and I, I'm a complete fraud. 
And his reply came back, um, you're in the right place, stay in your seat. Uh, so I obviously did. <laughs> uh, it would have been quite embarrassing to get up and leave like several hundred people. <laughs> and just as that happened, a massive picture of Gordon Smith, the medium Gordon Smith, came up on the screen behind Michelle. And she began talking about how he was the first person she ever signed to write a book at her house. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Gordon Smith was a bit of a, an idol of mine. I knew that he was um, a medium who never charged for a sitting. I admired him for that. I knew he was a medium who worked with bereaved parents a lot. I'd seen documentaries on him. And that kind of somehow kept me in my seat. And I just thought, oh, that's quite odd. Uh, because Michelle hadn't been talking about mediumship or anything like that. And then up it came just as I was doubting myself. So I took it as a bit of a sign. And in fact, um, fast forwarding, when I was writing the book, I was saying to you earlier, Gavin, that, um, you know, I said to my husband, uh, I want Gordon Smith to endorse my book. Yeah. And I didn't know how that was going to happen. I had no contacts with him, but I made that happen. I, it's another story. I basically made that happen by stalking him, but we'll <laughs> <laughs> won't go into that now. Uh, but he was very, very generous and kind enough to give me a wonderful endorsement, which is on the front of my book. So that kind of ties that story up nicely. Um, and yet lots of it. And so I entered the competition as the uh, the other wind up to this story. Uh, and I did guess what? I didn't win it. <laughs> uh, and it was really weird because I spent I, I wrote this uh, first sort of three chapters. I was breastfeeding a one year old. It's like I didn't know what I was doing. I was sleep deprived. I was like sort of like clattering through this book for about an hour a day, trying to write as much as possible to enter this competition. I think I needed to do a, a proposal and uh, three chapters, I think. So I was like really working hard on this thing. And all along, all along, I was telling myself, OK, it's a sign. I'm going to win it. I'm going to win. I know I'm going to win this. My book's going to win this publishing competition and I, it's going to get published. And, uh, and I didn't win. And I remember the day that they announced the results, I, uh, I was driving to pick up my kids from school and I had to pull over the car and burst into tears. <laughs> Uh, as I was so distraught and I again I remember thinking my god I'm supposed to be psychic like how could I have got this wrong um, and one of my dearest friends Michelle uh, said to me do you know what this is probably not the right publisher for you I've got a feeling in my gut your book's going to be published but it's not through them it's not right for you they're too much of a big machine and that's not you so I thought oh whatever and actually what happened is that um I then made a connection with a lady called Teresa Chung, who some of your listeners may know of. She's a prolific author in the mind, body, spirit genre. She's written, I think, 37 or 38 titles. Um, she's a Sunday Times bestseller. Um, I'd read lots of her books. And about two weeks after Romy died, I was looking through my bookshelf for something else. And I'm not joking. A book fell out of the bookshop, uh, bookshelf and landed on my foot. And it was uh, the title of the book, I think, was Angel Babies by Teresa Chung. And I picked up this book and I thought, well, I didn't even know I had that book. I'd obviously bought it, you know, ages ago, shoved it in the bookshelf and never read it. So I thought it was quite odd, given what had just happened to me, that that had hit me on the foot. So I read it. And it's something I've never done in my life before. I emailed her. There was an email address in the book. And I, I sent this email that said, please don't feel the need to reply to this. I've never done this before. I really feel compelled to write to you because um, my daughter's recently passed and I've read your book and I really want you to know how helpful it was to me. Um, it really has sort of reinforced my faith in the spirit world, which I'd kind of lost a bit. And I want, I just want you to know that. And she did email me back and uh, I began writing my blog at this point, And I think there was a link to my blog on my email and she sent me a lovely email, so sorry about the loss of your daughter, blah, blah, blah. And she said, incidentally, 
I've been reading a blog and you write really well. And if you ever think about writing a book, could you please contact me? Because I do everything in my power to help you. And like, you know, who says that, right? Yeah. British people, that's not very British. Um, and uh, to this day, I have never met Teresa Chung, but we now are really quite good friends. We've emailed each other and she has been an incredible mentor to me. Uh, she helped me a lot um, and basically helped me to see that preparing my book for that competition meant that by the time I discovered John Hunt Publishing, I had a pretty good book proposal and three chapters ready to go. I just sent them and John Hunt Publishing very kindly said, yes, we'd like to publish your book. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like there was kind of a particular route there that I was being directed to follow and that the, the book really came to be physically came to be through a series of you know coincidences maybe I don't know or a bit of guidance maybe. I think it's a little bit of both I'm delighted that your book was published however you got there whatever the journey was the destination was worth it so what do you hope the truth inside will offer the world? Well above all I think I I hope it will offer hope to the bereaved um I've obviously all through my you know everyone um, loses people all the time this is part of life particularly since Romy died I've come across people who have lost children also uh, my own aunt in fact lost her firstborn uh, when I was six years old and uh, very bizarrely almost the same age to the day that Romy was she's been an immense support to me and I've met people in various stages of grief and bereavement, online, offline, in person. And some of them, you know, it, it, um, it's heartbreaking to me how much some of these people still suffer years and years later. It's like they become entrenched in their grief and they cannot step out of it. And I really hope that this book will offer a message that it is possible to step out of your grief. You know, I carry it with me all the time. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, look at me, listen to me. I'm, I'm sitting here. I am, I think, a pretty positive, optimistic person. I've retained that as part of myself. And I have a belief in living my life to the full, even though I've buried one of my children. And, you know, I could very easily have become the person whose life was never the same again and who fell apart because their child died. And I didn't, I don't believe in that. That's what I want to say. I don't believe in that. And I really hope that this book will offer perhaps people who feel sceptical or unsure, I hope it will offer them a suggestion that there might be something more. Just really for people to perhaps feel comfortable in opening their minds. I don't want to convince anybody. That doesn't work. Um, just saying, look, this happened to me, so therefore you've got to believe it is not going to work for anyone. But yeah, I think that's it. I think offering people a perspective, a perspective and perhaps some hope if they're in a dark place, because I've certainly been in that place. And um, you know, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to hope it. You wouldn't want anyone to to be in that place either. From a personal point of view, the truth inside it can help anyone who has lost someone, whether it's a child or just someone in their life. You don't have to be a paranormal enthusiast or a spiritual enthusiast. It is about your journey and how you've coped. Anyone who tuned into the show, they're probably thinking, "Oh gosh, this is going to be a tough show." This is going to be a hard show to listen to, right? right? But your abundance of energy, your positivity, your love of life, your ability to strive, to push, to want, to need, you kept living. Yeah. And you kept living for your children and for the memory of Romy. Yeah. And that is the message I've taken from this book. Mm -hmm. Whether you have lost someone or not, the book is important. The truth inside is important because we were talking before we began the interview. Life is just alone. 
Everything in it is not ours to keep. Your pets, your loved ones, your friends, your colleagues, it is not ours to keep. It goes. It it ends up leaving us, okay? Absolutely. And this book is important for anybody. We were talking again earlier that nothing can prepare you. It doesn't matter how much you value and appreciate anything. It, it, It can't really prepare you. But this book, whether you've lost someone, whether you've got someone who's ill at home, someone who's dying, or you're just worried about your family, Mm. This book can just give you the hope that, do you know what? Maybe everything is okay. Maybe this part of our life is just a transition into a bigger, better existence without the constraints of a human body, without the constraints of mental health and physical issues and letdowns and emotional distress. We go to somewhere better. And this is the first time, I know you're talking about trees of chunk, but this is the first time I've heard of such an example. I've never thought about it. I've talked about animal spirits. I've talked about Bigfoot. I've talked about all these different things. Mm. But I've never, it's, it never dawned to me. It's like when I read this book, when I read The Truth Inside, it's like, oh my gosh, why haven't I thought about this before? So how has writing The Truth Inside, the wonderful book that is The Truth Inside, how has that helped you personally? We'll cover off the first cliche and say that it was cathartic. It was cathartic in some ways, but I think I got over the cathartic bit by writing the blog, if that's the right uh, turn of phrase, really. Um, that really, it wasn't that. I think it succeeded for me where all else failed, is what I want to say, because I'm not knocking counselling. I've had lots of counselling at various different points in my life. Um, I've suffered from depression. I still live with depression, particularly um, given what's happened. You know, it doesn't, doesn't appear that way. Um, but, you know, it happens. And so I'm very alive to that. And I think I had lots and lot. I had so much counselling. I think I had counselling fatigue after Romy died. And, uh, you know, people don't know, even experienced counsellors sometimes don't know how to handle the death of a child. And my problem with that counselling, and it was my problem, was that I could not go to that counselling without feeling compulsion to say to the counsellor, well, do you have children? Has one of them died? I I couldn't, and this is not like me normally. Normally I'm completely open to discussing an issue with somebody who may not have an experience of it because they bring a perspective to it that might be helpful, but I just couldn't get past that block. Perhaps I wasn't ready at that point or I wasn't in the right frame of mind, I don't know. So I turned to writing because it's something that has always been very comfortable for me. Um, I love to do it. I don't care what I write. I could write the, you know, write the phone book or something. I just, I love the process of writing. I, I like what it helps me to achieve mentally and emotionally. Um, and I think so it succeeded where all else failed. And it gave me great hope. And it also gave me purpose outside of my children. After Romy died, you know, that my one remaining purpose in life was really my kids. But it did sometimes feel like I was dragging myself through each day just to try and exist for them and not be um, a shoddy mother. Um, and it gave me a real purpose. And I started to see that because of Romy's death, I was being offered an opportunity to do something that I dreamed of all my life. And that switched something on in me. And I started to think, right, hang on a minute. You know, it's a cliche, but um, worse things have happened to people. You know, people are alive right now in war zones. Their children are being blown to pieces. They've lost more than one child. You know, they've been in unimaginable situations. I can't even go there in my head. So I was like, hang on. Yes, Yes, I've lost my child. But I'm sitting here and I have an opportunity to do something that has been a lifelong dream. How privileged is that? So that it kind of put me into a really positive mindset, which is my natural setting. But I had obviously lost that um, in the months after her death. So um, and I think the fact that a series 
of events that I've just described led me to that book being after a publishing contract with relative ease, you know, because the other thing happens, you've had a book and you think, oh my God, you know, now I have to get it published. That's really difficult. Everyone says how difficult that is. And it, for me, it wasn't, you know, I was very, was I lucky? I don't know. Was this book meant to be brought into being? Maybe. I just felt like I, I had a strong feeling that it was this book, The Truth Inside, is somehow meant to be here in the same way that Romy was meant to be here, even for a short time. So, yeah, it um, it gave me a purpose. It gave me a real sense of purpose and it reconnected me really with um, how privileged I am to be living my life. Our life is not somebody else's life, even your child's life. Even if you've grown that child inside you, I still have my life to lead. And so that's what that's what it gave me. Ali, you're an incredible woman. I mean that genuinely. What an incredible woman you are. What would you say to those who may be sceptical of your beliefs? I'd say that's fine. <laughs> it does, you know, it, it, in the nicest possible way, it really doesn't bother me in any way at all. You know, I have many close friends of all different uh, religious persuasions and of none, and I don't judge anybody by what they believe. And I would say that none of us can prove that anything does or doesn't exist, and I'm not putting myself out there as a person who can offer anyone any proof or any evidence. Those to me are very dangerous words to be using when we're talking about the subject matter, because you look at the definition of those words, and then you try and come up with proof or evidence that, uh, you know, there is an afterlife. I'm not quite sure how we're going to get to <laughs> proving that. I really respect the people who are striving to come up with um, different artefacts to, to show those, those um, possibilities. So, uh, yeah, I can't prove the existence of an afterlife any more than the next person can prove that it doesn't exist, or that the other person can prove that there isn't or isn't a God. Uh, and I'm not really interested in proving anything. That's, I suppose that's also the message I give. Somebody who's sceptical, I would be saying, well, I've really, I've got nothing to prove. I wrote this book because I promised my daughter I would write it. It's her legacy. Despite its title, at no point in The Truth Inside do I declare that this is the truth. That's, that's not <laughs> what I'm trying to do. Um, or in fact that people need to believe what I believe. I, I hope that that's not the what I've what I've got across. But that certainly wasn't my intention. Um, I also I welcome any theories about the experiences I've had. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I've written about is exactly that. It's my own personal experiences, which I have furnished with my own beliefs beliefs. And I and I invite people to simply read and to think. I think that's what I, I want to say. And if it helps one person to go through a fraction of the pain that I've experienced, then uh, then I'm very happy. And that makes that validates my daughter's existence for me in a, in a rather strange way, hard to, hard to explain way. How can we find out more about you, your projects and the book? Uh, so I have a website, uh, which is alinorell.com. That's uh, one R and two L's in Norell. And uh, I also have a, I have a Facebook page, but I also have an author Facebook page. So that's Ali Norell author on Facebook. They're probably the two main uh, main ways to contact me at the moment. I do do my best to reply to people on Facebook. Um, I have had messages through there from obviously other people who have um, who have lost children. So it's it's comforting to me that they've sort of found a base to connect. Uh, yeah, those are the two main uh, two main ways at the moment, although I know I should probably be much better at uh, getting my getting myself out there. That's coming. That will come in time. And also for more information on The Truth Inside, you can also go to www.o-books.com and search for The Truth Inside. It's got a lot of information there on Ali. And that is alinorell.com. That's Ali Norell, which is N-O-R-E-L-L.com. Is that correct? 
Yes. I spelt it the other way around. So just to confirm, it's alinorell.com. A-L-I-N-O-R-E-L-L.com. Get in touch with Ali. You've heard her speak for over an hour. What an engaging, positive, energetic woman she is. You know, keep in touch with her. Find out what she's doing next. Imagine what her next project's going to be. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Now, what we like to do at the end of the show, we like to leave our listeners with something a little special. So could you leave our listeners with a final thought? Yes. My final thought would be uh, simply make it count. That's what has got me through a lot, actually. Make it count. You know, remember, this is your life. It's not your loved one's life. However painful it is continuing to exist without them. If what I've written about, if I believe what I've written about, which is we're here to learn, then learn as much as you can. Make it count because it will, it can only enrich your life. An incredible message. Thank you, Ali, everyone. That's Ali Norell, the author of The Truth Inside. You can find out more information at alinorell.com. Ali, thank you. What an incredible woman. What an incredible start to the new year. Get into interview you. Thank you so much for your precious time. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> there we go. That was amazing. There we have it. What a heartbreaking interview. Ali's experience really put my life into perspective. Did this offer you hope or did it just open up a rabbit hole? What do you think? Ali Norell's energy and passion is so infectious. Despite everything she's gone through, she's dedicated her and Romy's life pursuing a productive and loving life. She is a kind, brave, strong and positive mum, wife and a fantastic author. She's a beacon of love and light for all of those that are lost in the abyss of grief and despair. Read The Truth Inside today from wherever books are sold or visit www.o-books.com and get your copy. If you know of someone struggling with grief and loss, then maybe get them a copy too. It really helps so much. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from Ali Norell. This may have been her first interview, but it certainly won't be her last. For more on Ali and The Truth Inside, visit www.alinorell.com. That's A-L-I-N-O-R-E-L-L.com. Say hello to her. If you are looking to write to explore your dream of becoming an author, then visit www.johnhuntpublishingacceptsunsolicitedmanuscripts and has 13 imprints covering everything from spirituality, history, politics, paganism, the paranormal, horror, science fiction, to all manner of non-fiction books. So make your writing dream a reality today and visit johnhuntpublishing.com. If you want more free paranormal content, then read the Paranormal Chronicles free digital magazine. The free digital magazine is jam-packed with articles on all things paranormal. So read yours right now at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. It's free, no sign up, no nonsense, just free reading for you at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. Remember to follow this podcast series for your chance to win a free paranormal book every month, an Amazon gift voucher every quarter in our followers giveaway. And also so you never miss an episode. Explore our archives, download, listen, tell your friends and explore all our great content, if you dare. Let me leave you with this. Grief, loss and depression affect so many of us on a daily basis. I know this. I suffer with suicidal depression every day. But please know your life is important. There are people out there that care. There are people at the end of a phone, an email, a text message. There are amazing people that can give you support and they will listen. You are never alone. Your life matters and you are important. Your life is important and you make a difference to this world. Please know this. You are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am GL Davis. Sleep well.